This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. What comes to our mind when we think about the life of Jesus Christ? If you could sum up his whole being, his whole time on earth, in a few sentences, what would you say about Jesus? I find it interesting that a man that got to hang out with Jesus for three years, he got to be with them, as Caleb said, when God blessed him with a new morning. You got to see like how he reacted during the difficult times. Luke records Peter summing up Jesus' whole life in a few words. And this is what Peter had to say about his master. He said, The Lord went about doing good, having compassion on the needy, the sick, and the sinful. Jesus' life was summed up in those words. They went about doing good, having compassion on those that have need, those that are sick, and those that are sinful. And then I think about the Apostle Paul. He went around traveling to all the churches, starting churches, and this is what he preached day in and day out. He said, we all must be imitators of Jesus Christ. In other words, whatever Jesus did, that's what we must do too. Whatever he says, that's what we say. And so if you were to couple those things together this morning, what we, our ambition should be, if we are going to be like Jesus, if we are going to be truly a Christian, then we need to be busy going about doing what that doing what is good Going about having compassion on the sick, having compassion on the needy, and compassion on the sinful. You know, I think about a time when Jesus, he walked in these two sisters' houses, or their house. And Jesus always had men with them. They were hungry. They had been walking all day long. They were his disciples that would someday be apostles. They brought their appetites with them. And so they go into Mary and Martha's house, and, and Mary and Martha being very hospitable, feeding these men, seeing to their needs. And all of a sudden, Martha just gets fed up. You know how sisters get along. They're always fine. Martha says to Jesus, who Mary, her sister, was just sitting at his feet, just listening to him, not helping. 
Remember what Martha said. Like, Lord, do you not care that I am doing all the heavy lifting while my sister is just sitting at your feet listening to you? Get her to help me. Come on. She was very proud of herself. And the Lord said something to her that I just want to remind us of this morning. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the creator of all heavens and earth, said to her, Mary, or Martha, what you're doing is important. It's good. You're seeing to the needs of others. But your sister, Mary, she's choosing the best. What you're doing is good, but what your sister is doing is better. Sometimes in our lives, we get so distracted about taking care of our families, going about making a living, that we forget about the needs of others. We're not doing anything wrong, but we're not choosing the best. And what the best is, is going about doing good, having compassion on the needy. What is compassion? Have you ever just looked up the word compassion? I hadn't done it in quite some time and needed to refresh my memory. And this is what the dictionary has to say about compassion. It's to have sympathetic consciousness of others' distress coupled with a desire to alleviate it. So what we learn here is that compassion is not just feeling sorry for someone's troubles, but it means that we take one step further and act on that and that we do whatever it takes to alleviate their distress. That's what compassion is. And that's what Jesus spent his life doing. So this morning, we have three points that we're going to be looking at. We're going to talk about compassion towards the sinner, compassion towards the sick, and compassion towards the need. That is our three points that we'll be looking at. So let's start with the first one. Compassion towards the sinner. And I want to read a couple of verses here that I think will help us to understand the compassion that Jesus had towards sinners. In Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, we're going to read that. Again, we're talking about compassion towards sinners. Jesus says, or Luke writes here, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just as Elijah did. But he turned and he rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. There is a lot that we can gain from these verses. We don't have time to really unpack everything, 
But one of the main points that we want to look at is that Jesus and his disciples, they came across a very sinful people. And James and John's first instinct was, let's condemn them. Let's condemn them. Let's rain fire on them and let's just destroy them. Let's wipe them from the place of this, uh, wipe them away from the face of this planet. But Jesus says he rebukes them. He says, you have a spirit about you that is not of me. It is not of God. You have a spirit of the devil. That's what they had within them. Who is Satan? He is the condemner, the accuser. But not God. He says, I come to save the sinner. Not to destroy the sinner. That was Jesus' mindset. That was the spirit that he manifested inside of him. We can learn a lot about these verses when we start looking at this spirit that these apostles have because what happens is you see Jesus, or Satan deceives you and I in having that same spirit. And I've had it within me over and over again. You know, when we think about having compassion towards a sinner, when we read God's Word, we just see the opposite of that so often. Do you remember the time when, when this father had two sons? And one was a good son and one was not a good son. And this father knew the heart of his son, but he still let him go and take all of his inheritance. And the father knew what he would do. He knew that he would go and he would waste it all in riotous living. And that's exactly what he did. And he got to a point on his journey that he said, I, I can't do this anymore. He came to a breaking point. And so he comes home. What does his father do? Do you remember? He had been out there waiting for his son to come. And he embraced him and showed compassion on him. And he threw this big uh, coming home party for his son was dead, but now he is alive. But the point that I'm wanting to make is not, I don't want to talk so much about the father's compassion, but who, where was his brother? Remember the elder brother? Did he have the same spirit that his father had? No. No. He was wanting fire and brimstone to come down and just drop on his brother. That's the heart that he had. That's the spirit that he had. He wanted his brother to be punished. That's what he deserved, right? You see, the difference between the father and the brother was the spirit that they had within him. One had the spirit of compassion, the other did not. He had the same spirit that these apostles had. Why? Think about his life after his brothers left. When his brother ran away, it broke his father's heart. It broke his father. As it would any parent in here. And so his brother older brother got to live with his dad and see his brokenness each and every day. To see him grieving and going out every evening looking to see if maybe his brother would come home. His brother had to carry all the extra weight that his brother just dumped on him when he left. 
You see, he was directly affected by his brother's sin. And so when it came to forgiveness, having compassion, having mercy, he was like, uh-uh, not going to happen. So many times, we're all about having compassion on those that their sin doesn't directly affect us. It's easy to see how another person needs to forgive a sibling or their child or their... It's easy for us because we haven't been directly affected. But when we're directly affected, that's hard, isn't it? But that's when we have to have the spirit of Jesus Christ. Spirit of compassion. You know, I think about Jonah. You remember how Jonah was told to go to the wicked city of Nineveh and to preach repentance to them? And we were like, he's like, I don't want to do it. But God, through having a fish wall of him, directed him towards the city. So he finally gets there, and he preaches what God told him to preach. And it caused the whole city to drop them to their knees and repent. And was Jonah happy about that? No, he wanted to die. Why? Because he did not feel like they deserved compassion and mercy and forgiveness. He rather seen them be buried in fire and brimstone. He wanted judgment to fall down upon them. What do we learn from that? Well, when you start really looking at the city of Nineveh and their specific sins that they committed, you understand a little bit why Jonah was hesitant. You see, these, this Nineveh, they committed sins against God's people that were unforgettable. Some of the sins that they committed, like I can't even speak about this morning because of sensitive ears. And so what we learn from that is how sometimes we're very forgiving about some sins, but there are some sins we just can't forgive. You know, I think about the apostles. They were probably some of the most prideful, arrogant men that the world has ever seen. <laughs> but yet they were ready to cause fire and brimstone to fall on this, on this Samaritan city. Right? They were jealous and envious. They were greedy. Like, we could talk a lot about their sins. And that's sometimes us too. It's like, we're okay with some sins, but there's some sins that we rate in our mind that are just unforgivable. And that's kind of where Jonah was at. But that's not okay. That is not okay. A transgression to the holiest of holies is a transgression. Or it's still a piece of bubble gum or something more severe. I think about that scene and you have all these righteous men. I just want you to picture these righteous men. They're revered and respected before all. Picture these men in a courtyard with big old rocks in their hands. Picture them, their chest all out, all righteous, and they were ready to condemn and to stone a sinner. And oh, how she deserved it. She was caught in the very act of adultery. She was going to die. Remember what Jesus said? He said, in all his wisdom, he that is without sin, 
let him cast that first stone. One by one, from the eldest man there to the youngest, they dropped their rocks. There's so much to this story. You know, they were all about following the law, but they really weren't, were they? There were two guilty people, but yet they only brought one. So what do we learn from that? The law caused them, or had them to bring both guilty parties to be judged, but there was only one. So we learn from that is that they had, they may have been buddies with the other individual. They may have known his family. They may have been kin to him. And he was nowhere to be found. But this woman, she was going to pay the price. They didn't know her that well. You see, sometimes we're willing to forgive this person for our sin. But when this person does the same sin, oh no, they're going to be paying the price. You know, when our children, when they commit a trespass against us, they're pretty easy to forgive, aren't they? But when another child does the same thing, oh no. <laughs> no, no. Not going to happen. And we can just, we can go on from that. When it's a family member, when it's our best friend, we kind of just show a lot of grace and compassion and leeway. But there are certain individuals that may do the same thing for whatever reason. They're going to pay the price. That's not good. That's not having compassion, is it? You know, there was a time when I was sitting at a restaurant. And I was eating my food, and I, people that know me here know I'm pretty observant, and I just kind of like to watch people. I was watching this young waitress, and she had a tray of food that had about eight plates on it. Eight plates of food, it was heavy. She was serving this table. She was walking to this table, and she was just about there, and she lost her footing, and there, that tray just goes falling. It was like it fell in slow motion. I watched it. I was like, oh, no. And all eight plates just shattered. And you can imagine what that food did. It just went, Phew. It seemed like it shattered throughout the whole restaurant. And that little girl was on her knees. And you could just tell she wanted to dig a hole, crawl into it, and never come out. Like, she was mortified. And she sat there with tears in her eyes on her knees. And she just saw this insurmountable mess that she had to clean up. And she was so embarrassed. About that time, a man came out, and I assume it was probably her manager. And he came out, I'll never forget it. He got down on his knees. And he said in a quiet voice, he said, I got it. I got this. You go take a break. And they got me to thinking about someone that is just lost in sin. They are shackled by it. And what sin does is it makes a big mess in our lives. And sometimes we are on our knees and all we see is this huge mess before us and we don't know how to fix it. We are so ashamed of ourselves we feel guilt, and we don't know how to climb out of our, this mess. And that is when you and I are supposed to get on our knees to our brother or our sister and say, I got this. I got this. 
That is what Jesus did each and every day. That's what we're supposed to do. Compassion for the sick. This is a picture of Job. Job had just lost everything that he had ever worked for in his life. It was gone. Job had lost ten of his children. He would never see them again this side of eternity. Job was smote with a disease that was compared to leprosy. One of the most painful, dreadful diseases known to man. And there he lay. Then we have, the story picks up to where three friends come to visit him. I want us to notice that after a while, he called these three friends of his miserable comforters. Why did he say that? The reason why he called them miserable comforters is because... They just knew in their heart of hearts that he had committed a sin to deserve all this. They just knew that if they could just figure out what that sin is, he could repent and all would be restored again. They had good intentions, I feel. They were his friends. You know, sometimes we do that as well to the sick. I know I'm guilty of it. I'm like, if someone's having heart problems and they're about my age, I'm like, let me tell you how I can fix you. You're going to start delegating some of your responsibilities. You're going to work fewer hours in a week. You're going to start, you know, working out a little bit, and you're going to have a lot less heart problems. Or, hey, what we can do is we're going to put you on a diet. You need to lose 50 pounds. And we're going to put you on an exercise regimen. You know, this is kind of what his friends were doing after a time. They were trying to fix the situation. Sometimes that's not what we need to be doing. Well, you know, these guys get a hard, a difficult rap, but they did some things right. And that's what I want us to focus our attention on this morning, what they did right. Number one, they showed up. Amen. How many times... Do we talk ourselves out of showing up? Like, well, I'm not just really close to that person. Well, I'm going to die in a few days. What would my presence do anyway? These men showed up. The first step is to show up. Number two, they showed the first half of compassion, which is what? They showed empathy. It says that they weeped with Job. They weep with him. It says that they tore their robes. What does that mean? It says, I'm here to grieve with you, Job. And thirdly, they put dust on their forehead. Ashes. What does that say? That they are here to mourn. They were here to suffer just as their friend did. So that was the second thing they did right. Thirdly, They spent the necessary time. What happened the first seven days of their presence? You remember what happened? 
They didn't say a word. They just sat there. And that was exactly what Job needed. There's so many times we're like, what do you say to someone where their diagnosis is death? What do you say to someone? We don't say anything. We can show up. We can sit there. You know, I've learned so much about compassion the hard way. You know, when, when Rhett got diagnosed with cancer, that was a hard pill to swallow. And you know, someone that has suffered cancer or family, close family members, there are things that happen during that season of life that are just indescribable. Indescribable. But the beauty of Rex's situation is we've learned the taught compassion by you and by others. And that's the beauty about compassion. It's all how it can teach people. You know, I think about how many times that we have just wanted to give up. Our endurance tank is empty. Then we go out to the mailbox and we find a letter, a sympathy card, or there'd be a meal that was delivered to us. Maybe one of y'all would offer to take our child to this event or that event, or to keep our child in your home. Then there was that phone call that we received, that text message. There was that text that said, I'm praying for you. There was that care package. There was that financial assistance. There was that in-home visit. On and on I could go. But we didn't think we could put one foot in front of the other. That gave us the strength. That gave us the endurance that gave us the hope and the, and the inspiration to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that is the beauty of compassion. We have to show up. I love this verse. I can't understand it, but I love it. Mark 1 and 40 and 41. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Oh, what faith. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. Jesus healed a lot of people. That doesn't shock us, does it? But touching a leper, that shocks me. That shocks me. You know, sometimes having compassion for the sick causes us to get out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it causes us to make a sacrifice, do things that make us very uncomfortable. Compassion for the needy. 
like I was saying earlier, I've learned a lot about compassion by others because I didn't have it within me. There was an experience that Cora and I was able to be a part of, and that was going to Costa Rica in about, I think, the early part of 2017. A lot of you have been on mission trips before, and you know that they are far from a vacation. They are the most exhausting experiences that you'll ever be a part of. You start out day one exhausted because you had to get up at the break of dawn and after packing all night long, on a plane ride, on a bus ride, then on a four-wheel vehicle drive, and then ATV maybe to, to the middle of nowhere. And that's kind of where we started out in our journey. They said, oh, don't pack anything warm. It's, it's, it's heaven on earth down here. Well, there was a cold snap. And so the first couple of nights, me and Cora just laid in our tent freezing. And all the hills and everything down there just straight up or straight down. And we had our backpacks on and we were in the middle of nowhere. Well, one night, it's probably about halfway in our, in our trip, I was at the point where, you know how you get so tired you just want to cry about anything? Like, that's where I was at. I was beyond exhausted. And all I could think about was laying in my, in my, in my tent that night and getting some rest. The cold snap that took place was gone, so the temperatures were kind of normal. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get some rest tonight. So we all zipped up our tents, and you could hear my dad start snoring, and then um, like we were all kind of right behind him, just fell asleep. And all of a sudden, we heard screams in the night, terrifying screams. And so we all woke up from our rest. And all these girls, these ladies were just chatting in Spanish, and I couldn't make out everything. I could make out some, and all I knew is someone got bit by a snake. You see, we were all camped in a small little village in the middle of nowhere where there were just a couple of little um, huts. And this young man, he was married and had a couple of kids. He was walking to the outhouse in his flip-flops. And you don't do that in Costa Rica. You wear what they call snake boots. You always wear those. Especially at night, because that's when all the snakes were out. Well, he got bit in the foot. And so I'm hearing all this commotion, and you can just picture me laying in my tent, and I'm just, all the thoughts are coming. I'm just like, of all nights, of all nights, they couldn't have picked a night to get hit by a snake when it was freezing where I wasn't sleeping anyway. We finally get a night where I can sleep, and here this guy chose to get bit by a snake. I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't speak much Spanish. What good am I? Like, I'm not a doctor. This guy's going to die. You know, all these thoughts are coming to my mind. I'm just like, I'm staying in my tent just hoping that no one bothers me. Then I could hear footsteps. I knew those footsteps. It's my dad's slow walk. And he knocked on my tent and said, Clint, you awake? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, we're going to need your help carrying this guy out. We're going to have to walk him out of here. I was like, oh, my goodness. Thinking to myself, well, I don't have snake boots. I have low-top hiking shoes, and I'm going to die. 
That's all I could think. Just all these selfishness, selfish thoughts came to me. So we put this guy on a bed sheet after walking 100 yards in the dark just to get to him. And I'm in the flashlight looking at every leaf trying to see if I can, if I can see a snake. You see, these snakes are just different from ours. They're different. The snake that bit this guy is the most dangerous reptile in the whole wide world. This snake is the most dangerous reptile in the whole wide world. Why is that? Because it's killed more people than any other reptile. This little snake's called the fur lance. Why is it so dangerous? It's not the most venomous because when it strikes you, it puts enough venom in you to kill three people. And so that's why it's so dangerous. And it doesn't like it when you walk anywhere close to him. They're kind of aggressive. They're not going to chase you around the jungle, but if you walk in its presence, you will get struck. That's why they're the most dangerous reptile in the world. One of the most venomous snakes in all South America, Central America, and Mexico. They're everywhere. And you do not walk in the jungle without those snake boots. I did. Gordon did. Didn't know. So we carried this guy out. And he had not long to live. And he was vomiting and using the bathroom all over himself and all over us as we're carrying him out. We had to carry him across a log, across a river. And so two of us had to do that as we're trying to balance ourselves. And we get on this trail that's about a mile long, straight up, straight down. And above that, on the other side of that trail, it's just tall weeds. That's where snakes like to live, you know? And so you can imagine four of us carrying this man. We were walking in the tall grass. I'm just thinking to myself, I'm going to die. Long story short, we get him to a clinic where then they could call an ATV. The ATV carried him to where they could get to a four-wheel drive vehicle. That four-wheel drive vehicle took him to where they could fly him out to, in a chopper. And he spent eight days in intensive care. And now he's home with his children and his wife. And he lived. It wasn't because of me. It was by the grace of God and the compassion of others. I was just taught a lesson. I was taught just how selfish I am. That's what I was taught. I learned that having compassion on the needy sometimes will cause sleepless nights. Sometimes we have to dig in deep and find strength that we did not know we have or endurance that we didn't know we had. I think about those that are needy around us. There are tons of people right this moment that had just lost a loved one and they are grieving. Think about those that are going through financial strain, those that are suffering through a divorce, those that have lost a child to the world. Think about those that are struggling in a relationship those that, are medical, that have medical problems, maybe chronic illness, those that are depressed, broken-hearted, those that are just needing the necessities of life. If this verse doesn't get to us 
but I don't know what will. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, either in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How many times have we shut up the compassion within us? That we know we need to do something we chose not to. We chose to stay in the tent. It's one thing to say, oh, that poor soul. That's one way to look at it. Another way is to do something about it. Now, the best story about compassion is the Good Samaritan. You see, there were two men that saw a need, but they kept on walking. There was one that saw a need, and he took action. And that's the difference between compassion and observation. Compassion without action is just observation. We've been a kind audience this morning. I simply just wanted to remind us about what the life of Jesus looked like. He went about doing good, having compassion on the needy, having compassion on the sick and those that are drowning in sin. And I just pray that we can be more like Him each and every day. And I thank you for all of your compassion and how you taught me and my family how to be like Jesus. So thank you for that. We have a song of invitation. And those that need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, prayer is powerful. We offer this time because we all go through times when we just think whatever we're in is too much. And we need a brother or a sister to say, let me take that burden off of you. This is that time. And if there be any that would like to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we ask you to come now as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.